Hi neighbors, Courtney here. Welcome to the Local Living Carmel podcast, where you will hear stories from local business owners and neighbors. You can get more from Local Living Carmel on Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to check out our local coupon book, which exclusively features deals from Carmel Independent Businesses, available in stores now. I'm here with Peg Dreher of Antique Emporium. How are you, Peg? I'm fine. Good. So I'm curious, right out of the gate, why do you own an antique shop? <laughs> why antiques? Uh, because I, I grew up with antiques. I had a grandmother who uh, was an antique dealer. She sold things out of her home uh, in Michigan. And uh, when she came to visit us in Indiana, I think that my mother kind of thought that was something that she could have an interest with, with her mother-in-law. And so uh, she developed a very keen interest. And so as a kid, I went to auctions with my mother um, and uh, went antiquing with my mother and grandmother when they would come from Michigan. And so it just kind of in my blood. I had uh, uh, my own mother had passed away when I was just... Uh, two weeks old, and so I inherited what would have been her half of her parents' estate when I was 15, and there were a lot of antiques in it, so that sort of uh, spurred me on also, so that when I was married, we had numerous antiques that were ready to move into our home. So when you talk about going antiquing when you were little, is it similar to how people go antiquing today? Were there very many antique stores, or is it mostly auctions, neighbors? Both. Okay. Uh, uh, both. There were lots of, I, I came from a rural community about 90 miles north of here in Indiana, so it was a lot of farm sales. Um, and, uh, uh, but even in the little small town of 500 people where I grew up, there was an antique shop. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, so you would go to shops and you would go to auctions and, so what are your favorite types of antiques? Uh, I like almost all of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to say what is my favorite. And, and it changes over the years. Uh, but I kind of inherited a lot of Victorian things. So I tend to, um, and that became very popular in the 70s and 80s for people who liked antiques. So, um, um, that's kind of what I gravitated to in the way of furniture and, and glassware in China. So your um, house mostly has Victorian-style antiques? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you own the Antique Emporium now, or Antique Emporium, not the Antique Emporium. Antique Emporium. I do own it, but it is a group shop. Okay. So explain that to me, because I see lots of different people in here working. Right. Okay. What that means is that I manage for... Right at the moment, I have nine dealers renting from me. So uh, um, I lease a small amount of space to each dealer. Uh, then I manage their business on a month-to-month basis. Uh, they're free to come and go uh, and work in their, in their booth, uh, but they don't have to be here all the time. Most of my dealers, and while I, I've been in the business long enough, I try to... to uh, attract when I have space available, what I call a seasoned dealer. Mm. That's one that's that's been in the business for a while. And they kind of bring their own clientele. Uh, well, 
they bring a business sense with them. That's what I'm looking for more than more than a clientele really is. Uh, there, there's an art to arranging uh, and, and what we call staging. Mm-hmm. And I tell my dealers that's 50 to 75% of selling. Uh, and so um, if you get a dealer that doesn't have a sense for that or doesn't like to do that, then on a month-to-month basis as they get their monthly checks for what they've sold for the month, you actually can see those that are working and those that aren't. Or if they've gone on an extended trip for a month or two, mm-hmm. that that is recognizable in their amount of sales. Because they're, uh, although we, those of us that work at the desk, myself, if we know we're going to have a dealer gone for a while, uh, we always say, it's okay if we rearrange or if we put in more stock. If you'll leave us some, we will put in more stock. And, uh, and that helps. Yeah, I believe that. Cause I go to these markets where they've got, you know, hundreds of different vendors and I'll walk into booths that I wasn't even interested in the items, but the way it's laid out is so attractive. I kind of want to walk through it. Right. You know? And right. I'll avoid places that don't look that appealing. I just am not interested in walking right. through. That's true. So how long have you owned Antique Emporium? I bought the name, uh, uh, from, in 1995 from a gentleman that had opened a shop, a freestanding shop of his own, uh, and then turned it into sort of a consignment shop and had it for about four years, uh, on South Range Line Road, four blocks south of where we are now. And I was there from 95 to, uh, 2015 when we moved here. So how has, has the antique business changed that much in the last 20 years? That Drastically. You've seen? So in what ways? Well, when I first got into the business, antiques were, were the thing. And, uh, you could put almost any price on most anything and it would sell. We were just astounded. Those of us who had kind of grown up in the business, uh, couldn't believe how much you were getting for uh, a quilt that had been made out of feed sacks. Uh, it was just amazing uh, what was selling and how much it was selling for. Uh, and it continued that way until about 2008 when um, the economy took a, a real nosedive as well as society was changing. Women are now working most all women are working full time. Uh, they don't um, have time when they get home from work uh, to do what I call putts around the home, yeah. uh, uh, decorating. Uh, everyone is kind of a minimalist now, uh, and every magazine you pick up is how to declutter. <laughs> and we laugh and say we're in the business of cluttering. <laughs> So it's a niche market now. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh and they don't necessarily have the time to go out and hunt. And a lot of the fun is in the hunting. Definitely. Uh and so they will go to um Pottery Barn or IKEA or Wayfair and get something that looks similar if they want that look. Mm-hmm. Um and that is more in the furniture and the line than it is in the accessory line. Uh, that's what's really taken the biggest hit uh, is the um, accessory line. Hmm. Uh, 
antique and uh, vintage jewelry has always been a very good market for us until Charming Charlie came to town. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, and we just can't compete with their prices. Um, uh, it looks really nice when you go in the store, uh, and it's all um, uh, color coordinated. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's appealing. Uh, they certainly have the art of display, mm -hmm. but most of our vintage jewelry that is the bling bling that theirs is is all um austrian crystal leg crystal well it'll still crystal. be around in 10 years yeah <laughs> that's a big difference <laughs> so uh um we can't compete with the price yeah and when you look at the workmanship the workmanship is there's a big difference yeah but for the young gals just looking for something to enhance an outfit it meets their needs, mm -hmm. so it it's hard to compete there anymore. Um, um, American Indian jewelry did not sell well uh, until about the 80s, and here in this locale, I also had a shop in Arizona at the time, and of course it sold wonderfully there, uh, but here, it, until about 1980 or so, it didn't catch on. And then it, the really good stuff started to really sell high here. And you had people going from the Midwest traveling to the Southwest to buy and bring it back here to sell. Uh, and, uh, and then the department stores got into, uh, the action and would actually, uh, give contracts to the Indians on the reservation mm, to, to, create. And, and to create jewelry for, say, Lazarus and, and Macy's and, and, and Blocks and whoever was in business at the time. And so there was a lot being sold out of there, uh, also. And, and then it slowed down. Now we still are selling it. Uh, and if the silver market continues to hold, People are buying it because they like it as well as um, for the silver content. Mm. So it sounds like from what you're talking, you you know bought Antique Emporium, the name, back in the mid-late 90s. But mm. it sounds like you've been in the business longer than that. How far We're, back does this go for you actually being in the business? Well, that was uh, before that, I had been a dealer. And I actually had been a dealer in, a, in an antique shop called the Carmel Antique Mall, which was in this uh, shopping center, but over where the barber shop is. Really? Uh, and when they decided to close, um, I was asked if I would um, wanted to assume the lease, and I said yes. But that spot had been promised to um, um, the business next door, uh, so... We were instrumental in finding uh, the shop just for four blocks down the road. So, so did you get into the antique business pretty much as soon as you could when you were younger? Or was there no, a thing to it? No, it was after the, the kids were. And my husband, when I first married him, didn't know an antique from a hole in the ground uh, and didn't really um, appreciate it uh, or did he appreciate what I was bringing to start up housekeeping with until we or he was buying a veterinary practice here in Carmel and uh, money was tight. It was all going for hit for that business. And so 
what I needed to fill in with what I didn't have, I would go to auctions. And we literally, for two and a half years, ate off of a card table. <laughs> and when I came home with a beautiful cherry table, he said, well, we can't afford that. And I said, well, how does $15 sound? And he said, great. <laughs> and then he, a brother-in-law came to visit and said, oh, I see there's an antique shop just down the street. And so then he got interested too. So it became uh, both of our interests. And uh, although he continued to uh, operate the veterinary clinic, uh, he was just as much a buyer as I was, even for the business. How interesting. Uh, what a change. Pardon? What a change. Yes, big change. Yeah. So then this, you said this is when your kids had grown, you had started well, more. Well, there at least were in high school. Okay. And, I mean, I was buying for the house, but not really buying to sell. And then we had friends uh, that were both divorced, living here in Carmel, that met each other. And my best friend was a person I called Thoroughly Modern Millie. And I never said anything about her furnishings, but it was typically what we now call mid-century modern, mm. which is coming into Which is it, now an antique. <laughs> which is now right. And so uh, when her husband passed away and she met uh, Dick Apple here in Carmel, uh, they came one evening right at supper time, and John said, well, if you're going to come to visit us tonight, you're going to go to an auction because we're going to an auction. So... They eventually left here, went to Phoenix, Arizona, and called us one evening at 3 in the morning and said, we just bought an antique shop. So this they, is where your business in Arizona comes in? Uh-huh. Okay. They did not know anything about the business, but he... <laughs> Uh, he had been an uh, uh, electrical uh, contractor and uh, uh, very intelligent, and she was very intelligent, had a real estate license, and so they were quick learners. Uh, we would, uh, and we would take a load out, and we would say hello, and then we'd all sit down and start reading reference books to see. <laughs> and uh, uh, so they went from the small, we went from the smallest shop in Arizona to the largest shop in Arizona before um Dick passed away, and it just really wasn't safe for her to be out there with that much inventory by herself, so mm. she came back here. Mm. So, um, sold the business out there, and, and, uh, and I already was in the mall here, and then, uh, we bought, I bought the Antique Emporium. So. so tell me about your employees. Are most of them also your dealers, or they're different? Uh, <laughs> I do have one or two of the gals that that work occasionally when we need a fill-in. Um, I have had my longest employee, uh, Jane Neville, has been off since um, a year ago in January with with osteoporosis and broken feet, and so <laughs> both feet both feet in uh, in walking casts. So, uh, but she had been my uh, office manager through a long illness of my husband, and so she was here most of the time. Uh, I think Maxine's been here four years. Uh, Maxine had uh, is originally from Ohio, had worked at a large mall, and had been. Uh, what they call a, a, a walker. Uh, in those large malls, they have uh, people that walk the aisles watching for theft as well as mm. unlocking cases and that sort of thing. And so she came in one day and, and uh, 
want to know if I need extra help? And I said, yes. I originally started out uh, with a partner, um, and he would work in the mornings and I would work in the afternoons, and we did it for a year that way without any help at all. Then our first employee was... Uh, um, a gal that worked only on Sundays. That's the only day she had, and that worked out for me and uh, for Todd. And uh, so uh, until my husband got sick in 99, I really was here most of the time. And uh, Pretty typical for a small business owner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that he's passed away, um, I'm in just... It's rare that I'm not in every day, and I'm now that Jane's been off. I'm working her days when she was here, which was three days a week, plus my uh, two days a week that I was taking routinely. And uh, as we moved from the old uh, shop on South Range Line Road and Shoshone Place to here, it was a choice of going down 400 square feet or up 600. So uh, this really. There are days when we're slow enough that you don't need two people, but most of the time you need two people. Hmm. Somebody at the desk and somebody to run yeah. around. And so are most of the people who come in, people who come in you know, every month or so just to cruise around and see what you have? We or? have a lot of our regulars, okay. yes. And then we have what I call our out-of-town regulars. Uh, some are dealers that come as far as Ari- from Arizona and California and come once a year, uh, once or twice a year. Um, and uh, uh, and then we have the locals that uh, probably average once a month. What kind of things do people usually come in here? When, they're, when they come in looking for something, what are they coming in looking for? Well, it, it's either a specific piece of furniture uh, or a specific accessory. Uh, if they come in specifically for something, uh, that's not as often as it used to be because of the phenomena of decluttering and that sort of thing. But uh, um, and we we actively work a wish list now. A lot of shops say, "Well, just give us what you're looking for, and we'll put it on our wish list, and then it goes in file 13, and and they never hear from you again." We actively work that, uh, and everybody that works at the desk knows. Uh, with every check that's written at the first of the month for the dealers, there's also a newsletter written by me, uh, talking about any type of trends that I see coming up. Any Anything that I see is a problem in the in the shop that we need to address, as well as the wish list, and for that month. Hmm. And so, uh, uh, so the dealers know what to look for if we have specific wishes. And there'll be as as few as maybe six or eight for the month, and as many as twenty on the wish list. Hmm. Uh, and then you know, it's. Our dealer, my dealers will call and say, hey, I'm in Kokomo, or hey, I'm so-and-so, and don't we have somebody on the wish list several months back looking for such and such? And so we'll call that person. If they're still looking, then that dealer will buy it. It won't. Sometimes it doesn't equate into much of a profit for them, but it satisfied uh, a need and a wish for a customer, and it's made them more... Um, uh, likely to come back. Yeah. I've noticed in your place, um, you guys have a great, a particularly good record selection and your pins are interesting. 
because a lot of that, you've got a lot of beautiful items and then your um, jewelry too. I just noticed there's a really good selection of those three things as compared to other right. antique Well, if that I you would to. have asked me a year ago or a year and a quarter ago, would I have um, entertained the idea of having a dealer here that sold nothing but records? I would have, I would have said, <laughs> no way. Um, so it's new then. I didn't realize that. This is the new trend. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and he came in about, so he hasn't been here quite a year, but almost. Uh, and, uh, um, I just noticed that we'd had some requests for records. Uh, and, uh, but none of us care, none of the dealers carried records. And I do estate sales as part of the business too, and you every home has LPs, but they usually ended up at the end of the sale going to Goodwill. Mm-hmm. Um, now uh, Steve uh, specializes in uh, a lot of albums that have never been opened or never been played uh, that maybe are twenty to thirty years old. Uh, and still in their jacket. If not, he, uh, uh, he doesn't buy well used records. He's got uh, some really beautiful mm-hmm. covers out there. And, and what the customer seems to be doing now is, is buying not only quality, uh, and, but also the cover. That's what they're mostly after. And then they may turn around and buy the same record if he has it in poorer condition that they can play. Mm, so they have the collector and then they have the usable one. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you see coming up um, for Antique Emporium? What are some of the trends you see coming up or any changes in the shop or what's coming around the bend for you guys? Oh, gosh. If I'd known that, I, I could have made a million in the business. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, obviously... Uh, um, the records are. Um, I sold a lot of primitives, what I call primitives, uh, in Arizona, uh, and, uh, not as many here, but some. Um, but I, primitives are beginning to come back. If you look, um, if you look at, um, Wayfair and, and, uh, some of what the younger, uh, couples are decorating with it's more of a country look you, you can know this come barn... up at my mom's house she likes primitives a lot <laughs> the barn door hanging on the wall type yep. of thing we had a guy just today coming at our house to trim down a door to put on the put wall the... yep to put uh, in the doorway okay yeah so uh, <clears throat> there's a resurgence of younger people younger guys looking for woodworking tools there's, I don't think it's a large, um, certainly not a large segment of society, but there is a trend for young men who have some interest in wood, uh, working to, to want to collect the tools and to use them. Um, and, um, I had gotten pretty proficient in those, um, in the seventies and eighties, uh, and so, uh, I'm beginning to buy those for inventory as well as dig back into um, some of my old inventory that I had taken out and were putting it back in. I was just talking to my mom today. My five-year-old really likes to create things. And I was saying I was looking forward to the day when we can get him some woodworking tools. So yeah. I know where to come in five years. Right. <laughs> when he's showing interest. Right. 
Right. Well, Peg, thank you for meeting with me and for just sharing a little more about yourself and the Antique Emporium. I like to come in here about once every month, month and a half, and just slowly walk through and see what little treasures you have. Right. I purposely did not bring my wallet today because <laughs> I know I can't. Yeah. So. Well, and, and you know, uh, that I tried to encourage the dealers to rearrange all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they need to take it out. It's just... Fresh. All of a sudden, you put it on a different shelf and it's gone. It's been here for a year. It's amazing. Uh, it's just amazing. It's really amazing. So I can't remember now what what we had that that happened. And, and Mary said, "Well, gosh, that's been here forever." And I said, well, <laughs> "I know, but we stuck it somewhere else, and now it's old." So yeah, just freshen it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So and we, I like to. You'll see the table change in front of the. Uh, as the seasons change, the table mm. changes in front of the checkout counter. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, um, your dog you have here, that's your dog? She is my dog. Uh, she was our dog. My husband, we, we had lost our dog about 10 years ago and, uh, had to put our old dog down and he said, well, I'm getting another dog. Now he was not well. He had sold the clinic and he was mostly at home. And so, this was our first experience at um, a rescue uh, and uh, a veterinary technologist who had worked for us um, knew that we were looking and she was going to I- Ivy Tech up at uh, Kokomo and she- Ivy, which is now her name, was uh, um, running 31 for three days in a row. So she picked her up and very... Um, hungry looking and mm. yeah mm-hmm. uh and uh so she picked her up and and called john and said do you want to do you want to look her over and so she just he thought she was eight months old uh and he said oh yeah I, i'm gonna take her uh and she just kind of sensed that he was in poor health um he, and uh, he took her everywhere. He played bridge three times a week, and he took her when he went to play bridge at the Lions Club. He took her everywhere he went. She bonded to him like um, they were just sort of glued at the hip. And uh, about three years before he passed away, he started saying to me, now, when I pass away, you've got to give her time to spend with me. And mm. so I did have to take her to the funeral home, and she spent some time. Yeah. Um, she knew he was not there, so she uh, she just cried all the time. Uh, but once we took her to the funeral home, uh, she spent about 45 minutes with him and then came home and... and uh, she knew he was gone. Uh, it took her about four to five months to bond with me, but she doesn't want to. Um, and she she liked me. We were we were friends, but she wasn't just my constant companion. But now she's as bonded to me as she was mm. to him. She doesn't she isn't destructive in the house, or she doesn't go to the bathroom or anything. But she just uh, doesn't like. She cries. She doesn't like to be alone. She kind of had separation anxiety anyway. That's why he started taking her everywhere he went. And like we thought that was because of the way she came into this world and was just kind of dumped. Uh, and so um, um, that has stayed with her. So she she's never breaks a thing. All she's she a wags sweetheart. her tail. 
and uh, uh, she greets everybody. Now she's getting older. She doesn't get up every time anymore, but she's, uh, she, today, she was just at noon, she kept pushing on my arm and leg like, it's time to go to work. Why aren't you in here? <laughs> <laughs> so when she saw me get my purse and my, my rain jacket, she knew we were going to go. She's so sweet. Yeah. I love seeing her whenever I'm in here. Yeah, so uh, once in a while I get somebody in that's afraid of a dog, so mm -hmm. I just call her up behind yeah. the desk with me. And uh, But not many. Even the little children seem to really. So she's the shop dog and will be till, till she's no longer with us. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Thanks for stopping by. You can download new episodes of Local Living Carmel podcast on iTunes or subscribe at locallivingcarmel.com where you can get to know a new Carmel business owner and neighbor each week. See you next week.